podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. In Janine's book, Coping Skills for Teens Workbook, there are 60 coping strategies and it's divided into coping styles to make searching for a coping skill easier. It also includes several pages to support teens as they work on their coping skills, including feelings tracker worksheet, identifying triggers and making a plan, positive to negative thoughts worksheet, journal pages, wellness worksheets, including a self-care plan, Janine has created an essential resource packed with education, activities, and simple worksheets. Valeria Tellez interviews Janine Halloran, the author of the best-selling Coping Skills for Kids workbook and the host of Calm and Connected podcast. Janine Halloran is a licensed mental health counselor who has been working with children, teens, and their families for 20 years. She has been helping children and teens build their coping skills throughout her career in a variety of settings, including schools, mental health clinics, and in her private practice. Her work has been featured in the Boston Globe, Huffington Post, and the Skim Newsletter. Janine lives in Massachusetts with her husband and two children. Meet Janine at copingskillsforkids.com. Here is the interview with Janine Halloran. In your own words, who is Janine Halloran? Oh, gosh. Well, I think I would start by saying I'm a mother. Um, I have two middle schoolers at this point right now, which is interesting. You know, I've, I've passed the age where they're both in double digits, which is really fun, you know, now that they're both bigger and exci- it's exciting to see all the differences and it's such a different way of parenting than it was when they were little or when they were babies. So it's, it's kind of a fun age. It's actually a really fun age. It's my favorite age to work with. I would also say that I'm a therapist. You know, I, I've been a therapist and I've been working with kids and teens and their families for about 20 years. And I decided that I wanted to be a therapist when I was a teenager. So I'm sort of living my dream mm-hmm. and really enjoying my work. And then I would say I'm also a, a person who is a caring and supportive person of with the other people in her life. <laughs> You inspired me to ask you another question that I had not really thought about, although it's here somewhere. But why did you choose to become a therapist? Interesting question. I um, actually was in therapy as a teenager. So um, I was struggling, you know, with a lot of different things that were going on in my life. And it was recommended to me that I see a therapist. And I you know, this was a while ago, so it wasn't as, as, you know, talked about as it is now. And I found it to be so 
helpful. I can't even describe to you how amazing it was to be a teenage girl dealing with drama and issues with relationships and issues with my family to sit down for an hour and have somebody listen to me. And it was all about me, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And it was really, she was so supportive and so helpful, but also not it was interesting because it wasn't sort of like the role that a parent would play where she was like, you have to do this or you're going to get in trouble. It was more like, okay, so what is what are your thoughts on this? It was very like, okay, talking to me as I was, you know, able to make my own decisions, able to have some agency in my life and really helping me figure out how to manage all these different emotions and different feelings and different thoughts and different experiences that I was having. And as I was sitting there one day, I think I actually said out loud to her, I'm like, I I think I want to do this with my life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That shows the power of listening to others and also guidance, not telling our kids or anyone exactly what to do, but just uh, guiding them to do what they need to do, but in their own ways. Right, Janine? Yes, absolutely. Guiding them. It's not, I think a, a lot of people think of therapy as like, it's it's giving advice or giving telling you what to do with your life. And that is not how I see it. I see it as I'm trying to help you think through all the different scenarios and it's your decision what you do. <laughs> so before we talk about some specific topics in your book, Coping Skills for Kids Workbook, Over 75 Coping Strategies, to help kids deal with stress, anxiety, and anger. You also wrote the book, Coping Skills for Teens Workbook. But before we talk about the first one mentioned, I have these warm-up questions, as I mentioned off record. What does it mean to be a human being to you? Oh gosh, it means to be connected to others. And ideally, it means that you have empathy for other people and you can interact with other people and that you figure out what brings you joy and do it. I often ask the question about the purpose of life and what is success. And I have been hearing this a lot more. It's joy, whatever makes you joyful. Yes, absolutely. Do you think we can live without stress? And the follow-up question is, is there such a thing as a healthy stress? You know what? I feel like there is a healthy stress. There is, you know, people have done research around when you have a, a good level of stress, whatever that good level of stress is for you, you perform better in school, you do better on tests, sort of like that heightened awareness that makes you really perform well. People have talked about that in terms of like sporting events or, you know, performance in on stage or doing musical numbers or that sort of thing, right? But what I think is a little bit tricky about stress is what is the right amount of stress for one person is way too much for another. And it really is, you need to be self-aware because you know, you need to know what is too stressful for you and be sort of tuned into yourself as opposed to taking on what other people might say is too stressful or not stressful enough, that kind of thing. It really is a person by person sort of figuring out what is too much stress. And the other thing is, I think mindset also plays a part. If you feel like it's going to be awful, if you feel like it's going to be too much, chances are it is. And so if you come to it with a, a mindset of, 
I, I don't, I don't have this yet, or I'm not able to do this yet. Your mindset really does play a role in how you can manage stress. And obviously there are very stressful, overwhelming situations, but mindset really does play a role in it as well. Do you connect purpose to passion? And then do you connect passion being excited about something to this kind of healthy stress? I hadn't actually thought about that before, but I do. I think I do sort of, you know, back to the idea of joy, I think about finding that joy and that's your purpose. So that that's that that passion that you have is fueling your purpose in life. That's what you want it to be, right? That's what you want to do. And I think, you know, there are going to be times where if you are pursuing something that is a passion of yours, that it might get a little bit uncomfortable. It might push your boundaries, right? It might make you a little bit stressed, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Maybe it pushes you to do something like challenging and it pushes you in a different direction. It helps you get better. I I can use myself as as an example. I, you know, for, I I really like working one-on-one with people. That's my bread and butter. I really love that uh, that that therapeutic alliance, that therapeutic relationship, but people started asking me to do um, talks and do um, seminars and webinars. And it's really intimidating to get up in front of 60, 80, 100, 500 people and ha- give, a com- give a talk, right? And, and it pushed me and it pushed my boundaries and I've gotten more comfortable with it over time, but it was a good amount of stress. I don't feel like I can't do it. It makes me that a moment of stress before I begin makes me actually really hyper focus in and be really present in the conversation. And then I do pretty well for the most part. You know, there are going to be times when I stumble, but I also, I can be vulnerable with an audience. And I think that also is really helpful. Like when I'm not going to be up there and be like, listen, I just tripped over myself. Here we are. Like, this is real life, <laughs> folks. <laughs> so. Right. There's that, oh, like, boy. I can be a little bit self-deprecating as well. So I, I, as long as I'm, I'm comfortable with that, and I think that sort of can um, express itself in the room. So yeah, it was stressful for me, but it also pushed me and I feel good about it. I felt like it was a, a, the right amount of stress for me. <laughs> Whatever is a challenge, of course, will bring a certain amount of stress. And I love what you said about a moment of stress. So that also means that the issue might be staying stressed. So moments of stress are okay. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I will say that to my clients who struggle with anxiety. Yes, it feels overwhelming in the moment, but anxiety doesn't last forever. Stress doesn't last forever. It's a moment, you know, you can ride through it mindfully and then you can move on knowing that it's not going to be constant all the time embracing ourselves, being honest with ourselves and just being vulnerable, like you said. There's a lot of power behind vulnerability. And I'm wondering why so many of us run from it, (laughs) trying to hide or trying to show all the time that we are strong and capable. I, you know, it's an interesting thought. I'm not sure whether it's, you know, you want to put on the best face that you can you don't want people to see that maybe they see vulnerability as weakness and I don't. But I think there's something to the point of, I was just actually talking with one of my clients about Brene Brown's talk about vulnerability and her talks about shame. There's a reason why those are some of the top TED Talks because people struggle with that. <laughs> Would you say this is a practice for life or an understanding? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, there and it's not always easy to be, be vulnerable. You know, you have to create a space where people feel comfortable to do it. You're not going to be vulnerable if somebody makes you feel little or it makes you feel small for doing that. But, you know, to be able to create that space, that that area where somebody can just let their guard down and show you what's really going on. I'm wondering for you what joy is and if you connect it, joy to happiness. You know, joy is, for me, it's it's actually, I think about it more about that, you know, that a moment of flow where I lose time, where it's playful, where it's in, enjoyable, where I'm having a good time. And that, and that can take many different forms. You know, it could be, maybe it's when I'm dancing, maybe it's when I'm playing a game, maybe it's when I'm taking a walk, maybe it's when I'm gardening. But that moment of being able to reflect and feel positive I, it doesn't mean that I'm happy all the time, but to be able to be, to reflect and it's more about gratitude for me. It really is. How is being calm different from being peaceful to you? So I think sometimes people will say just calm down and it can feel very like sort of you have to do that. Like you have to be calm. You need to be calm. Where it's like somebody putting it on you. Whereas I think peace is like more from an inside, an internal process. Like you can't right. give somebody else peace. You have to <laughs> find it yourself. Right. <laughs> nobody says just True. peace. Like no, nobody says like you could just be peaceful. Like that doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> feel right. Whereas people <laughs> say just calm down all the time. <laughs> yeah. So true. Do you also connect joy to this idea of not telling people to be joyful, but this joy is something that we can only find ourselves? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, again, with, I think it's so important to be aware of our own, our own peace, our own joy and knowing what that is for us and, and being um, recognizing that other people have different ways of being joyful. As long as it's not hurting somebody else or hurting you or damaging property, be joyful in whatever way you want to be joyful <laughs> or be and be peaceful in whatever way you want to be peaceful. With the situation this year, we had a lot of, let's say, chains. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? I think we need to connect with one another. I really do believe that. I feel like we aren't hearing one another. We aren't understanding one another. And I think we really need to be able to take somebody else's perspective and understand where they're coming from and be able to have tough conversations. Because if we don't have the conversations, no change can be made. If everybody is still in their own little ideas of like, this is what's right and this is the way I think. And if you don't agree with me, then it's too bad. But we can't move forward. We can't make any sort of progress if we can't even have a civil, decent conversation around tough things. And I'm not saying the conversations are easy. They're absolutely not. But we need to be able to recognize that it's these challenge, these are challenging conversations to have, but we need to honor that and be able to recognize others as humans and as people who are having struggles that may be different from ours, but we need to recognize that they are just as valid. Their, th their life is just as valid as my life, you know? That makes me wonder, 
what the root issue is? Would you say lack of awareness of self-knowledge? I think it's very, it's hard to be uncomfortable. It's, and I think to be able to have these conversations is uncomfortable. So you have to actually get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, as a therapist, you get used to that like moment, like silence in therapy. I can, I can sit with silence for a really long time. I know it drives <laughs> other people crazy, but I, I really enjoy that like space of giving a person their time to really process and to be able to formulate a response and answer back. And I think that I think the 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 challenge with not being able to sit with the like sit with conflict and sit with with being able to not agree. It's okay to not agree. You, you can still be friends. <laughs> so um, I have two more questions for you. One's about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Janine? And the other one is love. What is love to you? Oh my gosh, those are, I feel like they're such big questions. Freedom to me is being able to do the things that bring you joy, that bring you peace, that bring you comfort, but also are respectful of the other people around you. So you can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want, without thinking about the consequences of how that impacts others. So you have freedom within a framework. Um, you have freedom within understanding that other people have freedoms too. Um, so I think that's really an interesting sort of thing to think about because it's not like you can do whatever you want, <laughs> whatever right. you want. You have to right. think about the impact that your behavior and your actions have on others. And I think... Love is action. Love is small acts of kindness. It doesn't have to be huge. Love can be just a, a touch on the shoulder, a rub on the arm. I'm going to bring you coffee or I will make you dinner. You know, being able to care for others with small acts of kindness and gratitude and love, just like taking those tiny pieces and that's those are the moments that people remember. The big, huge things, those are nice, but really it's those moments that are tiny in between where you can look at somebody across a room and somebody gets you and you've got a connection and you like you know that's your person, you know, or that connection that you have with your child. You know, I always feel like my kids are like my heart walking around outside mm. of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Love being seen in actions, and they don't have to be big actions, small things. So true. Staying with the topic of love and you being a mother, let me ask you this question. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Oh, gosh. I should. <laughs> <laughs> we all should in a way, right? We should. I, um, I struggle with self-care and self-love. And, and I've been really frank about that whenever I uh, speak on my own podcast or talk with my clients. But it's a, it's a struggle that I am working on. I am a work in progress. And I think that's where I think about the unconditional piece of it is that it is a work in progress, which means it's still going on, which means I'm doing it. And so we have, I have to keep doing it. And I have, and every day is sort of like recapitulating it. What does my self-care and self-love look like today? <laughs> and, and figuring that out and figuring out what I need and being aware of where I am and what I need and what will, what will feed me, what will uh, fill me up again, is what, which is what I need. 
So if I ask you the question, do you love your kids unconditionally? Would you yeah. say yes? Yes, right. absolutely. <laughs> really fast, right? Yeah, it's not yeah, funny. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. With, that really surprised me when I asked this question to one of my guests. She is a mother. And she said, yeah, to the question, I love my kids unconditionally. But then when I asked, do you love yourself unconditionally? And she said, no, really fast too. Huh. From what I understand, we cannot love anything, um, especially unconditionally, if we don't la- love ourselves first. It starts here. Yes. I just, I keep continuing to read about the importance of, you know, making sure that just taking care of yourself, really taking care of yourself. And that I think is a way of showing love to yourself and making sure that you are doing the things that you need to do in order to be the mother, the carer, Mm -hmm. the therapist, the teacher, the counselor, the nurse. That's what you need to be able to do is to be able to take care of yourself so you can go out and take care of the people you want to take care of, you need to take care of. So Janine, how did you become a writer? Oh gosh, accidentally. (laughs) You know, I didn't start out wanting to be a writer, actually. What happened was my husband kept hearing me talk about, you know, you keep talking about writing, like you keep looking for this book of coping skills. Because, you know, as a therapist, I was always looking for different coping skills, working with a range of kids, working with kids who are really having a lot of big challenges and needing to think differently and think outside the box. And I was always like, I just need a new idea. And whenever I'd get a new idea, I'd like write it down and get really excited and tell all my colleagues. And my husband said, you keep looking for this book that actually doesn't exist. So why don't you just write it? And I said, I don't really want to write it. And he just said, go ahead and do it. And so he gave me space and he gave me time because we had littler kids at that point um, to be able to just stop and really like outline it and start writing. And I would go to the library. So yeah, it was sort of like, I I didn't know what I was doing. I'll be honest with you. Like I just was like, well, I'll put it together. I'll make what I want to make. And if people like it, great. And if not, I'll move on. And people, like it just sort of grew organically. So that's been fun and interesting sort of ride as I'm watching it go, you know? (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. You did a wonderful job though with your book. I see the details and everything so well explained. It's incredible. When I was reading it this week, I thought, wow, I think my husband needs one of these. (laughs) I got to get like him a paper copy. And it's funny, but we can apply those techniques like now adults, anyone can. It's not just for kids. Oh, absolutely. Abs- I get that all the time, actually, That's yeah. which is why I ended up writing the teen book. And people keep saying, well, I love that you've written one for kids and teens, but where's the one for adults? And I'm right. like, oh, gosh. What are the signs to look for in kids and teens that they are stressed, anxious, and angry? You know, I would say you have to be sort of a detective and be paying attention to what's going on. So if they are complaining more about stomach aches and headaches and there's no medical reason why they are having those, and it's potentially like if you're noticing a pattern, like it's always happening on Tuesdays before spelling tests, or it's always happening on certain days, or it's happening during the week and not on the weekends, then it might be something that's going on with a school issue or some anxiety around that. If they change their patterns of sleeping or eating um, in a drastic way, differently than they have been as they've grown up, because you've known them and you're living with them. So you see how they eat and how they sleep. So if you're seeing like 
extremes in and that sort of um, that sort of behavior, and it's lasting for more than a couple weeks, then that's concerning. Um, and if they start talking about things like if they start say expressing like I don't, I feel sad, I feel upset, I feel worried. You know, being able to have the, that language and that dialogue to be able to talk about what's going on and how they're feeling, what are they thinking? And if you're noticing that they're saying these things constantly, then it's something that maybe needs to be looked into a little bit more. Yeah, so paying attention is very important. But it seems to me like once we become aware of of ourselves, then it's easier to be aware of others. Would you say so, Janine? Yes, absolutely. When when you start to pay attention to yourself and then suddenly you can sort of take that um, image, like being able to look inside yourself and see what's going on. And then you can sort of magnify that and put that spotlight on other people and say, oh, I, I wonder what's going on for them. Sort of thinking about how others are doing, which especially as a parent, we have to do all the time. <laughs> do you also talk about it or teach mothers being in touch with their intuition more? Absolutely. I think there's something really powerful and real about your gut. And when you get a gut feeling, you pay attention to it. Your body is smart and can notice things before you do sometimes. And so to be able to pay attention, you know, you know when something's wrong, you know when something's a little bit off, to be able to, you you just have that feeling. I can't tell you how many clients, parents, and and myself and my friends uh, who are moms, we all have that gut where you're like, ooh, I know something is off and I need to do something about it. Now, what to do about it can choose, you can go in a lot of different directions. But if you know, that's the time to be like, okay, let's figure out a, a plan and let's do this. Absolutely. And I tell my my clients, especially my teenagers, pay attention to your gut. When you feel something is off and you maybe need to get out of a situation, you need to leave a, leave a space, you do it. Go listen to it. Don't tamp it down. Don't ignore it. That's your gut telling you. Listen to your gut. Right. So true. Do you teach that to young kids? And what would be the age to teach them to be in touch with their intuition? I would say, you know, once they get to be elementary school age, you know, six, seven, eight, you can start to have them like think like you can start to have the conversation about have you ever gotten that funny feeling in your belly when something was wrong or somebody was doing something they shouldn't have been doing and being able to talk with them about that because usually kids do understand when you say that like oh yeah I saw that kid he wasn't supposed to be doing that at recess and I knew that was wrong (laughs) right (laughs) that is cute Um, and then also listening to them right Janine yeah they might be speaking from intuition Yes. And that's the thing. You know, sometimes I think a lot of times people don't always pay enough attention to what a child is necessarily saying that maybe they are downplaying it or maybe they think they're being overly dramatic. And yes, there are those overly dramatic children, but there's something, a kid knows something, you know what I mean? And we need to honor that and we need to respect that and see them. And that's powerful. The Coping Skills for Kids workbook is divided into four categories. So you have four sections, calming coping skills, and you have distracting coping skills, you have physical coping skills, and you have processing coping skills. The first one, calming. Talk to me for a moment about 
breathing and how important it is to breathe deeper? Oh my goodness. I always start by talking with kids and teens and actually the moms and dads and whoever is raising the children about deep breathing because it is so key. It seems so hokey to talk about it. And it seems so, you know, people are like, well, that doesn't really make a difference. But I I tell them physically, physiologically, it does make a difference. When you are in fight or flight, your body is not breathing deeply. You are breathing in a shallow way. Your muscles are tight. Everything is tense. Your digestion is slower. When you start to take those deep breaths, when you're in those moments, that's a signal to your body to be able to, to then know, okay, it's time to get out of fight, flight, or freeze, and it's time to get back down to rest and digest. It's a, it's a way that your body can be signaled to get calmer, to get more relaxed over time. And it's not immediate, but I think there is power in that. There is power um, in being able to know if I try and take these deep breaths, I will feel better. I can get my breath a little bit slower, get my breathing a little bit deeper so that I can get my heart rate down. And maybe I can start stop stop sweating as much, you know, those sorts of things for people. So I I absolutely love starting with deep breaths with people because of that. It's funny how I forget to breathe deeper a lot of times too. What do you suggest we do? Are there some techniques you would say posting, putting a note, some sort of a a note in front of us? (laughs) Like now I should have one, breathe (laughs) deeper. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I've told some of my clients actually, um, you know, you can set a timer on your watch or on uh, your phone. And then, you know, at that timer, then that's your time to take five deep breaths. And if you don't have time for anything else during the day, when that timer goes off three times during the day, maybe it goes off at nine and noon and three, then that's your moment. That's your minute where you can take those deep breaths to remind yourself of it. Um, I actually really like smartwatches because a a lot of them do have these like little breathing things. So I know mine, if I, if I touch it in a certain way, it can, it actually vibrates and breathes and makes it so that I can breathe in and breathe out with my watch, which is really kind Mm -hmm. of neat. And then, but then there's also, you know, deep breathing gifts or, you know, just for little kids, just being able to have them think about their uh, belly as a balloon so they can expand it and they can shrink the balloon um, just so that people can get into the habit of it. And, you know, sometimes even for kids, as they transition into a, a new activity, I'll just say, or I'll encourage teachers or educators to say, before they begin work after recess, have them take five deep breaths and then begin your stuff and see what happens in the room. See how that changes the energy in the room. And then becomes a habit, right? I mean, over time, and then we don't need to be reminded as often. Yeah. So you have so many wonderful techniques here under the coping skills, but I would like to mention mindful meditation and yoga because I know how powerful those are. Also grounding. Talk to me about mindful meditation, yoga, and grounding. Yep. So mindful meditation and yoga, it sort of intertwined really being able to be present in the moment, not ignoring, not having your mind be clear, but just being aware and sort of watching as your mind has these thoughts. I think it's really powerful because it can help kids 
be able to understand that just because they have a feeling right now doesn't mean that it's going to last forever. And it's, you know, sort of letting them ride the wave of whatever feeling that they're having and let and letting those thoughts flow through their brain, flow through their mind. And I think there's something really also tied to um, breathing with that and the and movement that you can do using yoga. You know, m- mindfulness is so powerful. It's been, there's been a lot of new um, resources available for schools in terms of mindfulness and the power of mindfulness in schools. And, you know, there are studies about how it can shrink the amygdala. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful stuff. And that's also connected to grounding because that's also being sort of trying to stay in the present moment, paying attention to what's around you as opposed to being concerned about the past or the future, really getting in the present, which can be very challenging. To be aware and present of what's going around you at the time, it can be a challenge when you are heightened. It can be a challenge when you are stressed. (laughs) Yeah, so true. So, so true. Yeah, I love the uh, the positive self-talk to Zen Garden. <laughs> That's another one, the calming jar. The distracting coping skills under that, you have write a story. Oh yeah, I love this one, writing so healing. That's for sure. And then you have do a random act of kindness. I love that too. Yeah, I, I think random acts of kindness are so powerful. There's something really neat about being able to give to somebody else. It makes you feel better. Even if you don't see their reaction, there's something powerful about that. And, you know, being able to, you know, impact somebody else positively. How powerful is that to know, like even little kids can make an impact on somebody. And you say play with a pet. That's a really good one too. Talk to me for a moment about creative thinking and also laughter. Oh my gosh. There is such power in just being able to be silly and laugh. There's something so healing about it and so so energizing about it. You know, if people, I often actually use being silly when kids <laughs> are having a hard time. It really, it helps kids sort of snap out of it a little bit. And um, when an adult is silly, they think it's hilarious because they don't necessarily assume that you're going to be like goofy or anything. <laughs> so <Right>. it's <laughs> true. It's kind of it. It's sort of like, oh my gosh, you're you're silly. You're funny. You can be goofy too, and um, making silly jokes and having just being playful with kids is so. It's such a powerful stress reliever, actually, for them to be able to play, to be able to do fun stuff, to be able to be silly and laugh. Oh, in your book, you say laughter is the best medicine. And it is also spend time in nature. That's another one that caught my attention. So true, too. And then this physical coping skills I have here, move different parts of your body, Go for a walk, dance. Boy, I love dancing. And for kids too, of course, right, Janine? It's very important that they move the body and dance. And then rhythm, music. Talk to me for a moment about dance, rhythm, and music. Yeah, absolutely. There's something, you know, really powerful about having kids be able to move their body. There's something 
um, that we are all we all have sort of an internal rhythm, and to be able to use rhythm and music can help actually reset kids, which is really powerful and really um, it's a useful strategy for people. And plus, it's fun. Um, and I, you know, there I was reading an article actually about mindfulness in schools, and there was this little girl who said, you know, mindfulness didn't really work for me. The thing that helps me calm down was when I dance, and so that's what I do. That helps my body calm. And that's really amazing that she was able to be so aware and she was really brave to say it to these people who were there, obviously, to talk about mm-hmm. mindfulness. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I love that you have this diverse techniques so we can choose whatever match our personality and goes back to what makes us happy and feel joyful. So, but this uh, caught my attention, the feelings as colors. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, I love using that for younger kids, especially because sometimes it's really hard to talk about your feelings and it's really hard to sort of put them into words. But sometimes if you use colors, they can show you their world. And it's just a way to start the dialogue. Even if it's not a verbal dialogue, it can be a drawing dialogue around what are their feelings? What? Tell me more about this color. Tell me more about this area of the drawing. I love using art as a way of processing and therapy, um, especially with younger kids, but actually for all ages. Um, but it's, but kids, it's such a, a medium that they're comfortable with that why not use that way of interacting and be able to explore some really challenging things. Two more that caught my attention was create happiness keepers. So this idea of keeping track in a way of um, what makes you happy, keep a happiness notebook. So that's a wonderful idea. And I love the other one too, you say, which has to do with being realistic, what I can control versus what I cannot control. Yes. Do kids understand that? Yes, they do. They really do. Um, especially as they, it's, it gets more complex um, and you have deeper conversations as they get older. So you have a conversation with an elementary school student about what I can versus what I can't control. And then talking to a middle schooler or a high schooler, the conversations become deeper and richer, but little or younger students can get that as well. But it's just, especially given this year, Talking about what you can and can't control has been a topic of therapy since COVID began for me, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine, right? Yeah. So that leads us to deeper understandings, right, about life. Yeah. So I have a few more questions for you. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in one of your books, Janine? You know what? I really, I have found it to be such an enriching experience to hear when people say, you know, this book has really been amazing because it's helped my child be able to figure out what strategies they can use. I love that you give them other options other than just, you know, a couple of things. I love the 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 expansiveness of it. And that's what I want for people to figure out what works for them. And it's so individual that we and I want people to recognize that that how you cope and how you deal with things is going to look different than your child or look different than your student or look different than your spouse and that is okay as long as it is safe and healthy and doesn't hurt anybody <laughs> I, I think it's it's a beautiful thing when you can figure out how to manage your emotions 
How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Gosh, to be successful at the end of the day is for me to feel like I did what I needed to do to help my family and help myself. And it doesn't necessarily get translated into money or, you know, power or how many downloads or anything like that. For me, it's how are my kids feeling? How are we interacting with one another? How am I feeling? How is my day going? A successful day is when I am, you know, I'm feeling good at the end of the day. I'm feeling still like I have a little bit of energy, still like I am excited to get up for the next day. That's success as opposed to how many more things can I write? How many more things can I do? It's not about crossing things off of the to-do list. It's more about figuring out what feels balanced and what feels realistic and healthy in a life. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change anything about your life or do anything differently? Gosh, I think I would want to, I know this sounds weird, but I'd actually want to move. I'd want to move someplace with more uh, nature where I could be surrounded by nature and really bathe in that uh, as it, as my time was dwindling. I'd want to be surrounded by mountains and trees and spend time in water as much as I possibly could. Are you making plans <laughs> for that to happen? <laughs> yeah, we are. It's just one of those, you know, sort of long, ter- longer term goals as we're trying to figure out, you know, we just to be more in nature. I, we all, both my husband and I and our kids, we really love that quiet, that peace. And that's where we want to be. It's just, we're not there yet, but we're on our way. <laughs> yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, being close to nature, right? One more question. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there are so many things I cannot control, but I know that I can control how I view things and my gratitude and my attitude. And I know that I love my family. Thank you so much, Janine, for this beautiful conversation, your genuine presence, and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge, too. Thank you so much for having me. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? People can go to copingskillsforkids.com. That's simple. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now, Jimmy. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Janine Halloran and her work, please visit copingskillsforkids.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.